This is the Sales Gravy Podcast. I'm Jeb Blunt, best-selling author of Fanatical Prospecting and Sales EQ, and I'm here to help you open more doors, close bigger deals, and rock your commission check. We know that top salespeople are obsessive, relentless prospectors. They're obsessed about keeping the pipeline full of qualified opportunities. But it takes more than just being relentless to get you ahead of your competitors and to create true differentiation that gets you in the door in the first place and keeps your deal moving through the pipeline. To do this, you need a compelling message, something that sets you apart. And on this episode, I spend time with Isabella Bray from ClearSlide, and we talk about these issues and a whole lot more. I know you're going to love this interview because I had such a good time with Isabella, who was absolutely awesome. And you're definitely going to want to go check out my friends at ClearSlide. ClearSlide is an amazing platform. And in today's world, where it's so hard to engage prospects because they have so much stuff coming at them, every interaction and every message counts. ClearSlide is an intuitive, complete, and open sales engagement platform that integrates content, communication, and actionable insights that give you and your sales team a true competitive edge. Go check out ClearSlide at clearslide.com. That's clearslide.com. Now, here's my conversation with Isabella Bray of ClearSlide. Hi, everyone. This is Isabella with ClearSlide, and I'm really excited to welcome you to today's webinar featuring Jeb Blunt, world-renowned sales expert, here to talk to us about all things sales. Uh, we're going to be focusing a lot on points from his uh, book, Fanatical Prospecting. Uh, so excited to have you with us today, Jeb. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here as well. And uh, it's fantastic to be here with ClearSlide. I love your tool. And thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, it's our pleasure. So glad to have you. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead, Jeb, and jump into the first question um, that we have outlined. And, you know, Again, I want to highlight the point that we really want to talk about Fanatical Prospecting, a really amazing book that's helped so many sales leaders and sales teams out there. So in Fanatical Prospecting, you really focus on helping sales reps build pipelines and share some of the best practices on how you yourself build pipeline. Um, you spend a good bit of time on teaching reps how to earn time by actually scheduling appointments with prospects and things like that. Can you tell me about your process in doing this and how do you target specific prospects and create a compelling message to make sure that they're engaged? Well, I think that, you know, A, you've got to start off with a good list. The, the quality or the outcome of any type of prospecting outreach, no matter how you choose to do it, and there's a lot of different channels that you can work through, that outcome is going to be predicated by the quality of the list that you build. So, you know, we think prospecting early on, um, you know, some of it's going to be qualified in through marketing. Some of it's going to be qualified in through the salespeople. Is some of it's just going to be over time as you build your database and you start identifying buying windows, you, you want to be calling in ahead of those buying windows. So in a, in, in a case, you know, with maybe one of your reps, they call in, they talk to a, a say a, a CEO or a CSO and the CSO says, we're, we're not really going to be adding to our sales stack this year, but we're going to have a budget, you know, starting say in February of next year. If I've got that loaded in my CRM, I need to be reaching out to them and having a conversation, say, in early to mid-January and reminding them that their budget's coming up and then setting an appointment around that. So for me, number one is the buying windows and buying opportunities. 
Some of those are going to be driven by trigger events that are completely out of your control. And some of them are going to be completely predictable. So if someone is in the buying window, that means that there is a budget available, there's a contract coming up, there's something happening in their business. That's the place where if you can identify, you want to get in. Now, a lot of your prospecting is going to be opportunistic. You're going to be calling to do the, that early qualifying. When is your buying window? I mean, I used to work in a, con, you know, a contract-based company uh, and industry where I called in and asked for X dates for contracts. And if they said, oh, my, my contract's been up for three years, I didn't call them for another three years. I mean, I, there was no reason for me to try to get in there and spend time with them. But when they're in their buying window, capturing their attention is really going to be about your ability to bring something to the table or create some level of interest that they don't see in their current vendor. Or they, they don't have a platform like, say, ClearSlide in front of them. You're, you're going in ahead of time and you're giving them a compelling reason to get there. So some of it's going to be what you say. It's going to be your messaging and it's got to be short, sweet and to the point. And it's got to give them enough reason to meet with you. And that's the thing about prospecting as a whole. Prospecting is a little bit like horseshoes and hand grenades. Like you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be good enough. And some of it's going to be, in some cases, especially with complex deals, some of it's going to be a nuanced buildup. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I am a big fan of ClearSlide because you can take some visuals and you can send some visuals early on, especially in a deal that's got a really wide stakeholder array. And you can get some different presentations, different content in front of them. The marketing team can give you content that you can put together in a campaign, especially important in complex and strategic deals. And then you can watch how those folks are interacting with that content. And based on those interactions, as you get closer to the buying window, you're able to then target those stakeholders in those accounts that are going to be the highest probability of setting an appointment with you so that you can get in the door. And once you get in, like once you set that appointment, you get in, you know, then you're in the sales process and moving to the next step. Can you talk a little bit about how email is leveraged throughout this process that you just walked us, us through? So very, very early prospecting. How do you leverage email effectively? I, here's a great example of email. Uh, I, we were working with a, uh, a tech company out on the West Coast and they were at their sort of startup phase and they had about eight salespeople on their sales floor. And they were really, really struggling. But as, as we were taking a look about at how they were going to market, what they were doing was they would take, say, you know, 8,000 prospects and they would put them into an email queue. And then they would email 8,000 prospects and they'd do it like eight times because somebody had told them to put it on an eight-time you know, deal. And, and then they would call and they were getting terrible results. And one of the reasons was by the time they called after eight emails, the person that they actually got on the phone was so mad for getting eight emails that wasted their time. <laughs> Um, they, they didn't want to talk to them. So what we changed was when you got the initial list, let's call the list. Somebody's going to answer the telephone. If they answer the telephone, that's going to give us the best opportunity for setting up a demo. So the first thing we do is call. And then the people that we are unable to reach via the phone, then we're going to follow up with an email. Then we're going to call and leave a voicemail. And on my team, we actually have voicemail blocks. So we'll do an email campaign out and then we'll all sit down and do a voicemail block. And we typically do those late in the afternoon. So we're calling people late in the afternoon when they're typically not going to answer the telephone. We're moving really, really fast because we know exactly what we're going to say. And we push the button and then we'll do another email campaign the very next morning. 
the, the key is with email, in my opinion, is that you have to get you have to get good at it. So your messages have to be really personalized. You can't use a lot, you know, I, I hate the subject line, you know, hi, Jeb. Don't put hi, Jeb on anything or hello, Jeb. Just put Jeb, comma, because that's how we deal with each other as colleagues. You need to have a cascading message that sometimes can be the same message. There's nothing wrong with sending the same message two days in a row. But what you want to avoid are these stupid asinine messages that say, I sent you an email two days ago. I guess you didn't get it. And when you do that, when you, when you tell someone you sent them an email and they didn't respond to you, you essentially are calling them out and you're making them feel bad. And like starting off a relationship with a prospect by making them feel bad via email is a really dumb way to begin the sales process. So instead of doing that, you want to create emails that are going to tell a story, that are going to cascade across a, a series of messages, that are going to get their attention because in every single email, your subject line and the first sentence of that email is about them, not about you. Who cares how big of a company you are? Who cares about any of the other things that you think that are important? Focus on them. The problem for that is it takes a lot of time. It's way more time consuming to write and build great email than it is to make a quick phone call. So when you're doing that, you have to think about the process that you're using. You have to think about the email cadence that you're using. And that goes back to list. You can burn your prospects. You can do a really good job of destroying your brand with dumb emails that are sent to the wrong prospects. So better to do the work up front to figure out when those potential buying windows are going to be opening and try to get your emails as close to those buying windows as possible and then work through a cadence of phone call, voicemail, email, and where it makes sense. And this is typically going to be in your complex to strategic sales where you're going to have a lower velocity of outbound contacts work social media as well. And when you get into the enterprise level, you're going to be, you know, email, phone call, uh, voicemail, trade show, and then social media. So you're going to, you're going to try to find different ways that you can get in front of those, those high value prospects. Absolutely. That all makes really great sense, especially when you break it down in terms of whether it's an enterprise, whether it's an SMB and, and following up. So really interesting points there. Want to shift a little bit um, into discovery. Now, in both fanatical prospecting and sales EQ, you talk a lot about discovery and really doing the homework up front to learn about your prospect before you actually engage in a discovery meeting. Um, you focus, of course, on asking really good questions about the company and where they are in their buying process. And of course, I think this relates a little bit back to BANTS, which you were just talking about. So identifying that budget, authority, need, or time frame. In your case, you just mentioned that actual time frame for, for when they're looking to buy. Um, you also talk about mapping the stakeholders and engaging them individually as well. Um, how do you teach reps to actually do this and enforce this you know, tactically in, in the real world? And why is discovery so important in the sales process? If you look at top-running salespeople, they spend upwards to 80% of their time purely in discovery. And the highest-earning salespeople, the salespeople that are working on those complex deals, those enterprise deals, your account executives, they're getting promoted through the ranks, they're brilliant at discovery. They recognize that in sales, a question you ask is more important than anything that you will ever say. And discovery is, uh, although not the most sexy thing in sales because we always want to close the deal, 
if you look at most deals, most deals are closed in discovery, not because of an outright place where the prospect says, oh my goodness gracious, that was the greatest question ever, I'm ready to buy, but because through the process, they start making a decision to do business with that salesperson because the salesperson is intelligent, they ask great questions, and the salesperson is using discovery to create self-awareness that a gap exists, that a, that a problem exists, that that person needs to change. Now, how do you teach it? Well, it takes a lot of work. I mean, number one, as a sales leader, you got to be doing a lot of coaching because it's so easy for salespeople to skip that step. The place that I know that a sales team is having a hard time with discovery is when the VP of sales or the CEO or you know whatever person in the organization has engaged us to come in tells us that they have a closing problem. Their salespeople can't close. As soon as I hear that, I know it's not a closing problem. It's an asking questions and listening problem. Because closing problems, objections, and issues that happen at the close happen because you have no ammunition. You have no information. You aren't making a, a proposal. You aren't connecting the dots between something that's important to them that, that matters to their business and your product. You're just giving them generic kitchen sink data dumps to just make you sound like everybody else. So you end up having these negotiations over price or they just go away because you didn't make them feel important. So with discovery as a sales leader, what you have to do is A, be there. So you got to get on sales calls. You've got to sit side by side. You've got to listen to your salespeople. You've got to coach them because sometimes it's just really hard for them to see that they're not listening, paying attention, asking the right questions. It's important that you start going through some exercises where you're helping your people craft and build questions. I call them go-to questions. And you get this when you start getting into conversations and you don't have to think about the question. You've got so many questions in your back pocket that when something happens, it's easy for you. Just pull the question out in the context of the conversation and it sounds so good. It's like, it's like an orchestra. It's just beautiful music when it happens. But people don't like do that naturally. I mean, some people do, but most of them need a leader, someone sitting behind them, taking them through the exercise. And if you're a salesperson and you don't have that type of coaching, Find your best salespeople and drill them. What questions are you asking? What are you saying? Can I go on a sales call with you? Listen to how they ask the questions. Watch how they're asking a question in the moment based on the conversation, not on some question that they have that they have to ask. And that's where a lot of salespeople go wrong. But everything relies on discovery, everything. If I'm prospecting into an array of stakeholders and I'm trying to find someone in that organization that will meet with me, if I can get that meeting, I can move to the next step because I'm good enough at asking questions that create enough interest that the person wants to help me get to the next step, level me up to another decision maker or continue the conversation or let me walk around their, their building with them or understand how their sales organization is working. That's the key. But if you get there, like if you, if you get the meeting, if you go through all that trouble, you send the emails, like you make the phone calls, you go to the trade shows, you do all that stuff, and then you show up and throw up. I mean, you show up and just pitch, you're not going to get a second chance. Discovery is how you get there. I love the quote you mentioned, you know, deals are won and conversely lost um, during discovery. I mean, I couldn't be more true. And that's something we really take to heart here at ClearSlide. Um, you know, we have standardized our discovery pitch decks um, across uh, buying personas and all these things. I mean, we really, really uh, value uh, discovery. And we really think that that's where the money is made and lost, to your point. Um, kind of in that same realm, jumping to a different question on closing the sale, you know, 
Here, we know that, you know, based on a study published by CSO Insights and Accenture, that close to 60% of deals and forecasts never close, and that's across industries. Um, at ClearSlide, along with, you know, the importance of discovery, we really believe that there is one fundamental component missing from most sales teams when it comes to accurately managing pipeline and ultimately having a, a confident forecast. And for us, that's engagement data, sales engagement data. Um, how does engagement of your prospect and the things that you learn in the sales process help you when it comes to closing the deal? I mean, here at ClearSlide, we know that's our value prop, but I, I'd like to hear from you, Jeb, what you feel um, the importance of engagement and engagement data really is in throughout the sales cycle. Okay, so as soon as you said that, I have a chill going out the back of my spine because like nobody talks about how important engagement is. It is my number one qualifying factor. I, I get, I can, I can take technical data. Like, are you in a buying cycle? Do you have any money? Who am I talking to in the organization? You know, what's the level that I'm at? You know, all of those things I can take into account. But once I've figured that out, everything rests on engagement, everything. So the, when you take a look at pipelines, 60% of deals are dying in the pipe. If you were to look in my cell, we use Salesforce as our, our CRM at SalesGravy, and you go through our pipeline reviews, we have a one field in our pipeline reviews. It's the only field that I spend any time on, and it's next step. It's an open field. You can type anything that you want to in it. But if we don't have a solid, confirmed next step, if we're not seeing engagement that is leading us down the road, I can tell you that the deal is going to die. I don't have to look at anything else. It doesn't make a difference where you are in the stage. It doesn't matter who you're talking to. If you're not advancing, you're going to die. And engagement tells you it's this, this test that you're always looking at as to whether or not the person is advancing you. So, so for me, it's, I call them micro commitments, but I'm constantly asking for micro commitments. I'm asking people to do all kinds of things. Sometimes I ask people to do weird things, but I want them always doing something for me. So I ask for little things and I, even big things. I try to break them up into small bites so that they can constantly be getting me something, doing something, following up with me. What's the next step? Where are we going from there? This is where I think ClearSlide really gets it on engagement. And I'm so glad that you heard that. You've got all of this, this data, these things that you can send to the different stakeholders. And, and I say different stakeholders because in a large account, there's multiple people there working on things. I was an account recently at 27 stakeholders in the deal, 27 who are making a decision whether to hire my company to train their salespeople. That's a lot of people. And when you look at how risk-averse people are today, you've got 27 people out there. There's somebody out there that can sink you, and you might not know about them. So when you have a tool like ClearSlide, and you can use some, some content and some information, you can send people out there, and you can watch how they're interacting with it. You can see how they're interacting with you online. You can see all those pieces. You can, you can pay attention to the black holes. You can pay attention to potential naysayers who are not interacting with you and you can do something about that because sometimes what sinks you in the deal is what you don't know versus what you do know. But there is nothing, 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 nothing that is more important than advancing your deals than the engagement of the people that you are dealing with. And if they are not engaged, I promise you, you are going to lose. Absolutely. We couldn't agree more um, here at ClearSlide and just piggybacking on some of your points. You know, we know that today on average, there are at least 
eight to 12 stakeholders in any buying decision. You certainly pointed out an outlier there with 27 <laughs> decision makers and stakeholders in, in, in one buying process. So I think we're going to see that expanding more and more as time goes on. And, and to your point, and of course, to, to ClearSlide's value proposition, you won't know how to navigate those waters without engagement data, with not just the view alerts and when someone opens your proposal or your pitch deck or your piece of content relative to, to the decision that they're making, but knowing who's being forwarded and, and knowing how to follow up appropriately because you know exactly which slides they focused on and which they didn't. Um, and so to that effect, I think, you know, we're certainly in, in, in agreement when we say engagement data is the number one missing factor in most sales organizations today. And just to, just to punctuate today, because we do, we do want to keep it short so everybody can really absorb this. What would you say is the number one um, biggest piece of advice you can give to sales leaders out there today? I, I want to stop and go back to what you said because of this the engagement data and watching how people are dealing with content that you send them. And we know that content's a big deal because people are absorbing things and they want to have the ability to do that on their own. It tells you a lot about what's happening and it also helps you develop better discovery questions. So it's the engagement brings you back to discovery. It's also um, taps into something called the investment effect. And the investment effect is a simple human heuristic or, or bias that says that the more effort that we put into something, the more likely we are to see it through. So when you have 60% of your deals dying on the vine, that's telling you that those, those prospects were not invested in the outcome. The outcome could be good, bad, or ugly, but at least they're going to see you all the way through. So if I'm giving them content and watching the engagement of the content and watching how they're interacting with those things, the more stuff I get them to invest in, the more effort I get them to make, the more they're going to get attached and connected to me. So can you imagine that you are providing, you know, value added content along the sales cycle, like along the process and your competitor shows up and they've got their stuff written on the back of a business card. And trust me, that's happening out there. The difference between what you provide at ClearSlide and that, I mean, it's, it's, it's night and day. You guys bring overwhelming force to the table. And that's what I think from an engagement standpoint is important. So advice to sales leaders. I, mean, I think with sales leaders, what my advice is, is you, you got to get back to the basics of human fundamentals. The beautiful thing about, about platforms like ClearSlide is that they take a lot of the burden away from the sales people to have to think about like what type of content or the type of creativity. I mean, we, we've got the data that tells us what we need to do, but you have to teach them to do is pay attention. So part of paying attention to engagement is what's happening, like what's happening in front of them. What are the signals that they're, that they're feeling? What's the emotion that they're getting from the person? They've got to be able to peel that off and pay attention to it, both on the positive and the negative side so that they can, they can shape and influence the buying decisions of all of the people that are involved. And there are five basic decisions that any one of your stakeholders is making at any given time about your salespeople do I like you? That If they don't like the salesperson, you have a chance. Do you listen to me? Is the salesperson taking time to really listen to them? If you, if you go back and look at the data, and there's a lot of it out there right now, they'll tell you that the number one reason why buyers are turned off by sellers is sellers don't listen. Do you make me feel important? Do I matter? Like every human being has this desire inside of them to feel like they're appreciated and they matter. And the easiest, fastest way to make someone feel like they matter is to listen to them and follow it up with relevant content based on what you just heard. 
do you get me and my problems? And I think your salespeople miss this all the time because the salespeople are walking into deals selling purely on logic. And they forget that in most B2B deals that there's a human being there that's solving their problem with someone else's money. So you have to make sure that that person understands that you really get them. And then finally, do I trust and believe you? And, and trust and belief is one of the reasons why your deals stall because they don't trust her and they don't believe you. So as a sales leader, you've got to start thinking, what am I coaching? If I can get tech to take away a lot of the other things that, that take my salespeople away from dealing with other human beings and I begin coaching the human side of things from, from the top of the funnel all the way to the bottom, you've got a secret weapon that from a sales organization that can beat anybody. Because people buy from people and that's what your salespeople need to be doing is working with other people and leveraging tech like ClearSlide to give them an overwhelming advantage against their competitors. I couldn't agree more, Jeb. As a marketer, selfishly, I have to agree at the end of the day with all the data in front of us and all the analytics, it's all fantastic. But we have to remember we are selling, we are marketing to humans. And at the end of the day, I think that's the biggest, biggest takeaway as well. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Jeb. And everyone, if you haven't checked out Fanatical Prospecting or ClearSlide, we welcome you to explore both. ClearSlide offers free demos and free uh, trials to anyone looking to explore. So we hope that you'll come to ClearSlide.com and explore more. Thank you again, Jeb. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.